Hey guys, sorry for the interruption. I'm Dave, creator, host, narrator, writer, producer, and, well, I guess you could just say the mind behind AIC Stories. That's right. Like you guys probably know, AIC Stories is a very small, independent, one-man operation. And as you probably know, creating a podcast, especially one with multiple series like AIC Stories, takes a lot of work, a lot of time, effort, and, let's be honest, a lot of money. That's why I wanted to take just a second to let you know that if you love AIC Stories and want to help support the show, you can do that now in a couple different ways, including at buymeacoffee.com slash AIC Stories. Buy Me A Coffee is a way for you as a listener to help keep the lights on and keep the stories flowing. Every little bit helps, and while I was very hesitant to even think about asking anyone for money because, well, who likes to do that? I had more than a few people ask how they could help support AIC Stories, and I figured, why not? People were asking, so let's give you guys the option. And truly, the support means the world to me, so I do sincerely thank you for that. Of course, I know not everyone is in a position to financially support the show through Buy Me A Coffee, but that doesn't mean you still can't help me out immensely. If you can take a second to leave a rating and review, or even just share the show on social media or tell your friends about all the great storytelling content happening right here at AIC Stories, you'll be helping me out just as much as any financial support through Buy Me A Coffee would. And I'm eternally grateful for any and all help that you guys can give me. Like I said, this is a small independent podcast and it takes a lot of work to keep this thing going and any of this help that you can do really just means the world to me and helps me keep delivering better and better content to you guys each and every week. So jump over to buymeacoffee.com slash AIC stories or just visit AICstories.com and you'll find all the links right there if you want to help financially support AIC stories. Or, of course, you can find me on social media everywhere at AIC Stories. And you can leave a rating, review in the podcast player of your choice. So share the show, tell your friends, rate and review if you can. And if you're able to and interested, buymeacoffee.com slash AIC Stories is where you can go to financially support the show and, and help keep these stories flowing. I do truly appreciate it. I'm sorry for the interruption here. Now, let's get to our regularly scheduled programming. Mystery Minnesota is an original fiction podcast from Adventures in Creativity Productions. Call it an anthology of strange stories, mysteries of a punishing land, and the people that call it home. And these stories impacted one man's life in a way he never anticipated. Believe them or don't. But remember, these stories are told in order, so make sure and start at the beginning. Don't worry, we'll be here whenever you catch up. Welcome to Mystery Minnesota. Sometimes there are no simple explanations. There's no way to explain the unexplainable and no way some things can be possible. Yet, there they are, staring you in the face, daring you to ignore them, mocking you because it knows you can't prove it. Even though you know it's real and happening, you know it and others with you know it, but none of you can prove you aren't just a bunch of lunatics that have slipped into a world of madness in which you'll never claw your way out. 
But sometimes someone does believe. Sometimes people are willing to take the unexplainable and accept it for the truth because they can't see any more plausible explanation. It's rare, but it happens. And sometimes those layers only lead to more layers. No answers, only more questions. nothing I could see on him, but he had clawed at his neck as if trying to pry something away. He told me it felt like some kind of small animal, maybe monkey-like or maybe even humanoid. I, he wasn't sure. Whatever it was, that small animal had wound itself around his throat and forced the air out of him. Whatever it was, he said it felt like it was not only squeezing and tightening around his neck, but like it was drawing the air out of him, somehow deep inside. And whatever it was, it was something incredibly strong. Stronger than anything he'd ever seen on this earth. Stronger than anything he'd ever even heard of. It was as if someone had custom molded cast iron, wrapped it around his throat and let it start tightening. Whatever it was, it was something that just didn't feel natural. I watched him and, and listened to him as he struggled to find a way to explain it, but when you go through something like that, it's hard to find words to, I guess, to put across whatever the the emotions are that you're feeling. That the Not even emotions, but the, the true explanation the true feeling but of course all of those explanations that i got from my brother well they came a few days later you see as soon as he had started breathing and the car slid to a stop in the ditch after i nearly crashed us into the ambulance the ambulance crew had raced over to check on us My brother said that I had, I had opened the door and stood up out of the car and blood flowing everywhere. The inside of the car was covered, that peppermint smell oozing all over the place. And I, I stood up out of the car to warn them not to go in the house and to let them know that we were fine, that they needed to go check on the Selfridges, but be careful, don't go in that house. Of course, I, I wasn't fine. Shortly after I stood up and started ranting to, you know, give them warning and, and let them know we were okay, I, I blacked out and collapsed. I was covered in blood, reeking of peppermint, and every one of my wounds had ripped open as I had struggled to pull my brother to safety. I remember feeling the first one tear and that brutal pain ripping through my body. I guess adrenaline had covered up the rest I, maybe the pain from the first i don't know the rest of them i never felt but they were all open and bleeding 
I had lost quite a bit of blood, enough that I ended up in the hospital for about another week and a half while I healed up a bit. But oh, 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 what an interesting week and a half it was. See, this story... I guess I, I still don't even know what to make of all of this. All I can go off of is what my brother had, had told me because after losing that blood, I guess, I don't know, I was, I was kind of out of it for a, a few days and, and wasn't really too aware of what was going on. So my brother, he, he told me they checked me in and then they checked him out as well and released him that same day. Apparently, whatever had happened to him, they, they couldn't find a cause or any concern over a problem. Numerous tests and MRIs, CAT scans, the whole nine yard x-rays, they, they found nothing. So they said he was fine and, and released him. The thing is, he knew what it was. Whatever dark death had been spread across the Selfridge farm had been back. It had attacked us, had attacked them, and had hoped to kill one or both of them, but I guess it didn't really explain all the rest. You see, when he was being choked, my brother told me that he, he felt that whatever it was wrapping tightly around his throat, crushing and sucking the air from his body, he told me there was another feeling. He felt something else in that moment. He could only describe it as a feeling of being somehow pulled away from himself, of, of being ripped away from reality, of basically vanishing. I, I immediately thought of the scene in Back to the Future where Marty's playing guitar and his hand starts to vanish in front of him. And I asked my brother if that's what it was like, and, and he said, sort of. It's not that he saw himself physically vanishing, it was this feeling that he was being pulled out of this reality and becoming solid somewhere else. He had told the doctors about it, and they chalked it up to a lack of air and him blacking out. When you're starving for oxygen, the brain plays all sorts of funny strange tricks on you and I could tell though my brother he wasn't convinced the doctors were adamant everything was fine there's no way you can be ripped away from reality you're not gonna vanish into some other plane that's not the realm that doctors deal in but like I said he was not convinced after that he, he tried to play it off like it was no big deal but he always had a pretty bad poker face and I could tell whatever had happened, it had shaken him up pretty bad. Anyways, as had become a routine for us, unfortunately, he was there by my side in the hospital as I, once again, was recovering. Thankfully though, this time it, it wasn't as bad. I just basically had to get stitched back up and let things start to seal and heal back up. There was no major internal damage, just a, a lot of blood and a lot more of that now familiar peppermint. <laughs> I guess it seems I'm, I'm stuck with this dang smell. While I recovered though, my, my brother filled me in on the further chaos and confusion around the Selfridges. You see, this is where things took a turn for the really interesting, the really bizarre. 
it seems like after they got me stabilized and the ambulance crew got me loaded into that first ambulance and, and got me off on the way to the hospital, my brother had stayed until the next ambulance showed up to check on Arnie and Maggie Selfridge. My brother had told them that we went inside, told them what had happened, and told them that they were nowhere to be found in that house. It seemed like they had just vanished in the middle of whatever they were doing. He explained the chair that was knocked over, the the phone hanging off the hook on the wall after we had been talking to them just minutes before, the broken coffee mug with fresh coffee spilled on the floor, all of it. He explained this in detail to the paramedics that arrived on the scene. Because he had been so adamant and warned them about that horrible smell of something rotten, that smell of decay, they wore whatever those heavy-duty masks are, like like firemen when they're charging into a burning house, the, the ventilators maybe they're called, I, I don't know. My, my words escape me at the moment, but you know what I mean. When they got inside, there in the chair in the living room was Maggie. My brother followed, he could see her for himself. Her cross-stitching was in her lap, her head tipped back against the back of the chair. Looked like she had just went asleep. But she was dead. They could see it before they even checked. Now, in the kitchen they found Arnie. His body was sprawled out among the debris of shattered mug, stains of dried coffee on the floor, a chair tipped over, and the phone hanging down the wall with the operator repeating, if you'd like to make a call, please hang up and dial, you know the drill. They could see he was dead as well and, you know, they they have to do their job, so they checked him out just to be sure. But there was no question, they were both dead. Paramedics on the scene, they ruled it uh, a carbon monoxide poisoning or something of that nature from some sort of gas leak that they weren't detecting at the moment. And they put the time of death at least a week before they were found. That's right. A week they were dead in that house. Well, as you can imagine, that's obviously a big problem for us because we were there the night before. We sat on the back screen porch listening to tales of UFOs and invisible things choking Arnie and I spoke to them that next afternoon. The call that was interrupted that caused us to rush out there only to find that house empty. There was no dead bodies in that house and we were most definitely speaking with them the night before. Right there on their screen porch. Something something was going on. This, this didn't make sense. That house, when we got there, was empty except for whatever had been lying in wait for us. Whatever had nearly succeeded in killing us as well. My brother had tried to explain all this to the paramedics, but they just brushed it off as a side effect, a hallucination from whatever had caused him to pass out. Most likely, they said, the, the gas leak that had killed the Selfridges. Like I said, none of this made any sense. My brother and I were talking about it, and, and the best we can come up with is one of two situations neither of which were very comforting for either of us. 
You see, if you think about it, in, in what we had just went through, there was there was only two possible options. Number one, either they were right, and Maggie and Arnie had been dead for a week. So when we went out there, they were dead in that kitchen and, and living room. And we just hallucinated it all due to some kind of gas leak or something like that. Whatever was going on, it had an immediate effect on us and caused us to imagine all of it. Or option number two, there was something far more sinister happening here. Something somehow tied to their crazy UFO story. Something darker that had infected that land and existed only to claim the lives of anyone it could catch in its trap. Given the state of decay those bodies were in, it, it actually raised one other question for us. One other option. One that really put a chill into us. Were they alive when we saw them? Were they attacked and killed and, uh, I don't know, somehow taken somewhere before we arrived to check on them? Somewhere that uh, maybe time moved differently? Somewhere that allowed them to decay rapidly before being deposited back into their home? Was that putrid, oozing darkness, that, that smell of rotten decay, whatever was leaving that, did it somehow make them vanish and accelerate the decay on their bodies like it had in the grass out in the yard? Or were they in fact dead in that house for a week? Which, if that's the case, it would mean that when we visited them, was it possible we were blinded by whatever sinister creature had corrupted that land? And we were, in fact, not interacting with Arnie and Maggie Selfridge. Instead, interacting with some sort of reanimated corpses, only, only seeing what it wanted us to see so that it could lure us back out there to be its next meal. Oof, I'll tell you what, it, it, thinking about it now, it still sends a chill down my spine. I don't know which was the actual situation. And it's terrifying to think of either one. You know, after I got out of the hospital, my brother and I went up there just one last time to take a look around. I... I needed to see it for myself, and we just wanted to see if there was any possible clues or answers that we had missed. The uh, the smell and in, in the rot and decay, it was just just gone. The grass and land around the home was vibrant and healthy once again. Inside the house, we turned on the water in a few faucets, and it smelled clean. My brother, he was. And, you know, like I said before, he's braver than I am. And he tasted it and said it tasted perfect, like good, clean water should be up here in northern Minnesota. It seemed like whatever had infected this land was just gone. It seemed to have, well, just vanished. On the table near the phone that had since been placed back on the hook was that notebook, that, that journal or diary or whatever it was that I had seen sprawled on the floor previously. 
I know I shouldn't have. It, it wasn't mine to take after all, and it certainly wasn't my place to snoop around someone else's private belongings like that, but I, I, I couldn't help but pick it up because the last time I had seen it, it was laying on the floor. Coffee was soaking in and staining the pages. But there on the table, that book had been closed over a pen, stuck inside the pages like a bookmark. When I picked it up and opened to that page, there in bright blue ink, I saw the words, Space Traveler Joni Faustin. Along with that writing, it appeared to have the, the random doodles and sketches, the, the kind someone makes while talking on the phone for a while as they scribble on whatever's nearest while lost in conversation. Planets, stars, uh, swirling galaxy shapes, that kind of thing. Just random doodles. Flipping through the rest of it, I scanned over what appeared to be just regular old journal entries. This was a pretty thick book. But there was nothing that stood out like space traveler Joni Faustin did. So I closed the book and we finished looking around the house, but there was nothing else to see. Everything looked just like any other house, and so we locked the door, pulled it closed behind us, and left. As we drove away, I realized I was still holding that book, the journal or diary or whatever it was. My brother asked me what it was. I guess I was so busy looking for any other clues about what had happened in that house, I totally spaced out the fact I was still holding on to it, so... My apologies to anyone who may care. Like I said, I know it's not mine to take, but there it was. I had it in my hands. So I, I showed him the page that the pen was still marking, the, the doodles and sketches around her name. Thinking back on it, you know, I, I still have no idea who made those doodles or, or why. Yeah, it, it felt like maybe it's what Arnie was doing while we spoke on the phone that day. His his last day before whatever had corrupted their home had finally laid claim to its prey, well, that's assuming that he wasn't actually dead for a week. But something about that little sketch seems so different from what I saw flipping through the rest of the book. And there were entries filling that book past that little sketch too, so it must have been made sometime prior, but I looked at my brother, a knowing look in his eyes staring back at me. More layers, more pain, more questions. That's, that's all we found on this journey. But we had at least one more step forward to make. We had to visit Joni Faustin. Mystery Minnesota is an Adventures in Creativity production written, produced, and performed by David Swiduck. You can find out more about the show and all of the others at AICpod.com. If you're enjoying what you hear, be sure to reach out to us on social media by following at AIC Stories on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. Or, of course, you can email us via the contact form on the site. If you want to support the show and help more people discover and uncover the mysteries we're exploring, you can leave us a review or, most importantly, share Mystery Minnesota with your friends. Look, 
No matter where you hang out, be it Facebook, Twitter, Reddit, or Instagram, word of mouth is still the best thing you can do to help support life here in Mystery Minnesota. So don't be shy. Let people know what's up. Of course, we'd love it if you checked out all of the other storytelling fun happening with Adventures in Creativity Productions as well. So while you're at AICpod.com, go ahead and explore all of the other content right there. You can get all of the great projects like Faded Words and Adventures in Creativity in one convenient place by subscribing to AIC Stories in the podcast app of your choice really is the best way to keep up with everything we have coming up for you on Adventures in Creativity Productions. But if you only want to follow the story of Mystery Minnesota, you can find us under Mystery Minnesota in your podcatcher or at anchor.fm slash mysteryminnesota. So get yourself all caught up and stick with us because there's more to the story here in Mystery Minnesota.